Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. You get two episodes a week, but lo and behold, you basically get two episodes a day today or this week. But yeah, we're trying to bring you the best content there is around Europe, around the Premier League, La Liga, Syria, any random shenanigans going on in the world of football. And uh, as I look at Rion and his beautiful face, I unfortunately can only see basically the top two thirds of his face again. He's just forgot how to figure out how to work the whole video <laughs> conference thing. It's been like a year since we've been in lockdown almost. And um, yeah, <laughs> here, here we are. <laughs> Rian, any comments? Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the two, ter- two thirds. It was like, <laughs> it was like, you couldn't, I guess you couldn't really see my, my chin and maybe my bottom lip. That's fair. Mm, so two thirds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, seventy percent, fine, but yeah, Rian uh, cl- clearly <laughs> struggling with uh, with things as we as we start off. But Rian, how's how's your week been? I um, I have been MIA basically outside of like recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, my week is has been um thankfully a, a little lighter than most of January, but um. But yeah, trying to still trying to find ways to to not feel totally trapped in in uh a, in an apartment, but the snowstorm has not helped with that. So no, no, it has not at all helped. <laughs> um, but actually, is it's really nice to go walk outside. Like I walked outside for the first time in a couple of days just to see the snow and what's going on. Terrible for my shoes, but yeah, it was actually really nice to just. I don't know. See, the city was a little quieter and it was serene. I think that's the word serene serenity. That's not going to be the title of this podcast though, because we're going to be talking about La Liga and starting off with Barcelona and there's absolutely (laughs) no peace with this team whatsoever. Um, But yeah, Rian, why don't we jump right into it and talk a little bit of Barcelona to start over the weekend. Of course, Bilbao dropping points in La Liga, no longer Spanish super super cup anymore. We're talking solely about La Liga. Bilbao, one Barcelona, two Barcelona playing at the Camp Nou. Rian, I think I've run out of words for describing Messi time and time again. I like, I feel like I've run out of words, but every single time he does something new, basically my reaction is just screaming. So, yeah, I don't really, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm genuinely amazed at, at, what he keeps on doing and and this game was uh, just a microcosm of of what he means to this team thoughts <laughs> no i i think honestly it, it was normal for him i mean he makes it look so normal the the free kick against bilbao is just otherworldly i mean and it's even more fun because as soon as he starts running up to it one of bilbao's defenders immediately sprints back into the exact corner that messi ends up placing the free kick in and he knew exactly where he's gonna put it and they still could do absolutely nothing about it and that kind of just sums up Lionel messi as a whole knowing exactly almost every time you know exactly what he's trying to do or you know exactly what he's going to want to do 
but you just can't stop him. But I, I think what has helped, especially in, in Barca's run this last uh, couple of months, has got to be that Antoine Griezmann has found form. And not just found form, but he's found a, a place the in the team. <laughs> Like he started a lot last season, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, that. But, but, but even so, even more than just scoring, he's he looks comfortable um, on the pitch now. Yeah, I mean, it's so. Let's talk for a second because we could talk about Messi for forever. Uh, the last thing I'll mention on Messi Rian is that you know how we've been all kind of making bets on certain plays happening in certain games. Well, in my head. I would. I was saying literally. Oh man, I wish I could make a five dollar bet with Rihanna right now and just say, "Oh, this free kick's one hundred percent going in," um, and then it did, and then I didn't win five dollars. It was just a moral victory. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that that didn't happen. But anyway, moving on to to Antoine Griezmann. Um, the dopamine hit is was worth <laughs> more than five dollars, probably. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. The dopamine was amazing. Uh, great rush over the weekend. But anyway. Like you said, Antoine Griezmann quietly having a great season right now. I mean, in his last nine games, Antoine Griezmann has scored six goals and provided seven assists. That's a 13G plus A production level. That's in in nine games. That is world-class level. Like That's what I would expect from Antoine Griezmann in any team in the world. And I'm not here to say that he's living up to his transfer value right now because let's halt that conversation for a second. But I will absolutely concede that he is stepping up into the mantle and finding a role for himself in this team, even though I personally believe that role isn't really defined yet. But because he is such a world-class talented player, I think that he's provided himself a or, or, provide himself a little bit more of an avenue to develop chemistry by moving around more, you know, horizontally and also vertically outside of his defensive pressures, but really pushing the back line, especially when Martin Brathwaite is not on the field. So I, I think he's doing himself a favor right now by just getting out on the field and being as going from basically touchline to touchline repeatedly over the course of the game. And he's doing the, the, the work that no one wants to do in the sense that he's making runs that no other player will. And that's really, really an underrated trait for Antoine Griezmann. So a large part of why he has that 13 goal and assist output in the last nine games is because of really his work ethic. Yeah, and, and it's really night and day um, comparing this season to last season, I think, in terms of his influence on the team. I know you're saying it's been even more pronounced the last month or so. But as a whole, this season versus last season, he's already got in the league six goals. He had eight last season. Um, his XG per 90 is almost double what it was last season. And overall, sixth in, sixth in La Liga. He's matched his assist total from last season. And his non-penalty expected goals plus expected assists, he's at a four-year high in his last four seasons his his that that status um he's hitting his best in terms of in terms of chance creation and and the types of chances that he's being able to manufacture for himself right and i think the the other thing that's been more apparent 
this entire season, but again, especially during this run, is he seems more influential in the build-up play for Barca, and, and it's showing in the stats too, where he's creating more in terms of shots. He's got more passes and carries into the final third, and he's also just generally getting more passes and touches into the penalty area as well. So all of that together has allowed him, plus what you were saying, at least in terms of how much he's moving around and and finding himself in areas to receive the ball, he's being targeted and receiving more passes than he did last season for Barcelona. So yeah, I, I think there's something to do with the chemistry and obviously that chemistry is always about how is he blending with Messi and it seems like they're they're finding a bit more of a rhythm together now it's it's funny because i think there's <laughs> there's almost something to be said about the randomness of Co- this Komen team like just the the fluctuating nature of each attacking player's positions just makes for a lack of positions whatsoever it almost makes it so unpredictably predictable and you don't really know where each player is going to be and it's hard to defend against that it's easier to defend against a barcelona side that's passing very horizontally and there's no there's no through balls there's no line breaking passes things like that but this team especially on sunday and especially actually today in the Granada game in the Copa del Rey proved that there's an avenue to get their attacking players in the right positions. And I think that starts really in the midfield with a combination, some combination of De Jong and basically any other midfielder, whether it's Ricky Puj, whether it's Sergio Busquets, but De Jong has absolutely been a linchpin in the last, well, really since the start of 2021. Um, he is so, so heavily come into form. Um, and it's really, really paying dividends. Yeah, and the movement of Barcelona, like you're talking about, De Jong especially, we've talked about how he's gotten more into the box. Um, this well, especially since the first month or so of the season, um, this Barcelona team that when with the ball, they are so Dutch, right? The 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 influences of Kuman, and by a greater extent, Johan Cruyff, who Ronald Kuman played under, um, at Barcelona. The the Dutch are traditionally traditionally their their playing style is very fluid and it's very someone makes a run forward doesn't matter the position but someone else in the team has a responsibility to know okay our center back's running forward I'm running back into his position to cover and we're seeing that a lot at a much smaller scale with De Jong where he runs forward. But the team is not unbalanced when he makes those runs, right? So th- this team does feel like they are building a bit of an, a, an identity under Kuman and more kind of traditionally building a going back to kind of their roots, right, of, um, of the dream team. Oh, big... Big I'm not not saying that not saying that they're yeah yeah let me caveat that they're, they're not yeah. saying that they're that they're that good but because <laughs> nah, like but they do have like, a coach who played on the team so so at least he's he's trying to implement some of the same characteristics obviously they can't yeah. be on the same level no they never will be uh, that's like saying Ole because he was on the '99 United team you know 
should be bringing ultimate glory to the side, but let's absolutely not open that can of worms. But no, it's actually a really good point around the the Dutchification almost. Ooh, title of the podcast, Dutchification of <laughs> of this team. And I think the one element that I'd really call out though, and it may not have too much to do with Komen, but the lack of consistency, maybe up until now between our center back pairings, has probably led to more individual mistakes um, as players like Frankie de Jong, Ricky Puj, etc., get farther forward, which is great for attacking chances. I mean, today in the Granada game, Barcelona had something like 28 shots over the course of the 120 minutes and 18 corners, something like that. So it, it was a dominant, <clears throat> excuse me, dominant game, but it left a lot of one-on-ones to be had in in the in the transition. And that's the one piece where you would think that a world-renowned center back and <laughs> in his prime would be able to work on with these players. But this is, again, just a very weird team and a very weird season. Right. Well, let's just, before we head off to uh, talking about Atleti, Gerard PK back in training. Yes. What are the odds that he's ready for the PSG match? So PK himself um, kind of announced online that he is back doing individual training, obviously after tearing uh, some portion of his ligament in his knee a few months back. Um, around the March time frame is when he was slated to come back. Same with Ansu Fati. Um, but PK, I would not bank on him being back for that, at least the first leg of the PSG match. I think that's just asking too much of a player that hasn't played in about five months by the time he'll be back um, to, you know, technically, or I guess by the time that match comes around in a few weeks' time. I think it's just asking too much. But maybe the second leg. You just have to consider the the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue. There's no match readiness in his legs whatsoever by the time the, the first leg rolls around. But, hey, second leg when we're, when we're down 8-2 or 8-1, whatever it is, maybe he can <laughs> keep it at 8. Yeah, I'm down for that. <laughs> Oh, he's so guarded right now, everyone. He's he's <laughs> he's so guarded. I'm not ready for that. I'm just not. Let's move on to Atleti because hey, I, you want to talk about their Champions League time? We can tie. We can do that too. But no, let's <laughs> let's let's focus. We'll have on a lot it. of time for that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we yeah, we will. Um, but yes, Atleti, like you said, over the weekend, Rian, this is an interesting narrative that I think you might appreciate. They conceded. 20% of their goals from the entire season in La Liga over this past weekend. That 20% of course totals to eight or to two goals, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting narrative that 20% of their goals came for this past weekend. Of course, Atleti beating out Cadiz 4-2 over the weekend. This was, this wasn't an easy game for Atletico at all. I mean, having watched the game and really seeing how sloppy Atletico were in defense was a little concerning. And I'm not here to dramatize that portion of their play, but it was absolutely concerning to see how sloppy their midfield, especially, you know, uh, Thomas Lamar did not pick up runners. He did not pick up really the players that he was supposed to be marking. He was caught ball watching so much of this game and Cadiff exploited that, especially in the half spaces. 
around the 18. They absolutely exploited that. Um, of course, they did get a little luck in in their second goal, but it still was very much deserved. You know, two goals that they got. Now the four two, I think, is a little a little bit of a misleading scoreline by the end. Atletico, while Cadiz were kind of pushing for a last minute equalizer, um, got a goal instead. So it looks a lot worse than it was. But this was largely a two one. 3-2 type game for a majority of it. And they really pushed Atletico and exploited some of their really just defensive, I guess, vulnerabilities. It was almost down to individual weaknesses. And I th- think that might have more to do with the absence of Yannick Carrasco for the game. right? I, he's been so, so good in that kind of hybrid wing back left wing back kind of position for for um for atleti where they play at the back four and carrasco is part of like that the four four two he's part of he's a left midfielder in it but really when they're out of possession he drops back into a back five and he just acts like a like a um wing back and thomas lamar not really his thing. The, the defensive side, not really his thing. And I think it kind of showed, like you were saying, is that maybe not vulnerability, but the fragility of their of their starting lineup, um, defensively at least, right? Uh, I, I think that game was really more of a, wow, Yana Carrasco is more valuable to this team than we previously thought. And... All that being said, he's been having a great season. So it's not it's not crazy that he's so valuable, but more valuable in different ways, um, in more ways than we would have expected. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. I think they were absolutely missing Carrasco because Carrasco's not like Saul or he's not like Koke in that. Well, Koke will do a, a lot of the defensive running and kind of go crazy. Um, maybe that's why he's barely been called up for Spain recently, but. Uh, I think that Carrasco will he's very position laden and he he will tie to that position almost too religiously in some ways and I think a large part of what Simeone like did not or has not started Carrasco maybe as much in the last few weeks is that they probably are suffering on the right wing and what I mean by that is Trippier is not starting for obvious reasons like we talked about. So if you are seriously lacking right on the right-hand side in both defense and attack, you're not going to start a left-sided winger or midfielder to compensate for that. I think that there are enough bodies on the left-hand side of this midfield uh, unless – Carrasco wants to start on the right side, which I just don't see ever happening. Um, but I think that going forward, Carrasco needs to be a part of the the midfield somewhere. I I don't I just don't know it, what the proper answer is. I, it's like a I have like jumbled thoughts on this because Carrasco is a quality player, and I think while he's not a linchpin in the side and not automatically in the starting eleven, he's an important player and. He could have, I think, made a proper difference in 
at least the defensive side of this game, especially, I think subbing out Thomas Lamar would have been a smart decision early on. That was, I don't know. That was jumbled thoughts. I, I just, I'm like running through <laughs> no, my no. head in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you know, we do not poo-poo on rambles and rants. <laughs> unless unless it's Jay, but yeah. Unless it's Jay, yeah, of course, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, is there is there a greater conversation to be had from this game from the man who scored a beautiful free kick in the first half mm-hmm. and added to his goal total late in the game, or sorry, just after the second half with a penalty, Luis Suarez. I, I know we I know we've talked about you know whether there's been some sellers remorse um <laughs> for Barcelona there, but where are we putting him as the guy who is now leading the Pichichi race in Spain? Where are we putting him on the pedestal for forwards in Europe this season? Well, do you remember at the beginning of the season when we did our season preview, I said to you this is well, and you agreed. This is the perfect signing for Suarez, or for Atletico, and for Suarez. It's all they need. All they need is a goal scorer, a poacher, a target man. They don't need someone to run around and connect the dots up front like a true number nine type hybrid ten player, basically a false knight. That's not what they need. They need someone to quite literally score goals. I mean, they were basically, well, this is going to sound kind of on the nose, but they were basically something like 12 goals away from winning the league last season. And look who's provided already 13 plus goals, actually 15 goals this season already. That's Luis Suarez. So they found that source. They found that source in Luis Suarez. He is their target, man. It's the the interesting, the conversation around him still being, or at least being a top three striker in the world has to, it has to restart, right? He's a player that clearly has always had this skill set, but I think you said it best last week when you said he wasn't asked to do all the things that he was asked to do at Barcelona here at Atletico. At Barcelona, he was asked to do the pressing. He was asked to do the combination play. He was basically asked to do what Griezmann's role is now, but he doesn't have the physicality for that, and he's... His first touch is possibly worse than my first touch when I was in middle school. Oh, so. relax. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now obviously, obviously not that bad. I'm talking about worse than high school, of course, though. But yeah, it, there is something absolutely to be said about his ability to finish off games, to score goals when they absolutely need it most. And I don't know, th- this is more of an inquisitive point. I don't know what the expected goals for Atletico would be after they score the first goal in the same way that Rian and I were talking about this um, kind of offline with Liverpool. But I would love to know what Atletico's XG is after this first goal or even after Luis Suarez scores because there is a high chance that they're expected at least win rate is very high from there. Yeah, and I I, I love that we're having this conversation about Suarez still like possibly being um, one of the three best strikers in, in the world still. I, I think overall, maybe not. I, I, I think, um, 
I think Lewandowski, Kane, and, and maybe even Erling Holland have, have an argument to be made there. But still, I would say at worst, he's maybe at worst, maybe the third best pure finisher in the world. Maybe second just to Lewandowski there. He's he's got the second highest goal to expected goal difference in Europe's top five leagues. Lewandowski being first by a lot there. I, I won't even go into it. But um yeah, Suarez has, like you said, he's come in and he is just a perfect match for this for this club, for this team, um, this current team right now, right? And it just kind of, I think, shows you, again, another example where in soccer, like, this can change so quickly. Perception and just ability can look so much different depending on the team that you're in right and the players around you and how it fit around you like, because a player is not very good for one season or three months it doesn't always mean that the player's just automatically fallen off or is no yeah. longer good it's just yeah. the fit is so so important yeah you know what's interesting i think that I guess, this will be my last point on suarez but i think that if luis suarez did play for you brought up Kane, right? If he played for a Tottenham or even a Chelsea, actually, I think would be a very interesting fit. I think you're having the conversation even more seriously that just because of almost pure visibility that he is a top two striker in the world, right? I, I think that more people really just don't understand what he brings to the table. And it's kind of a shame, but, um, yeah, no, he is he is very much still gotten this season has heavily proved it. Absolutely. Well, at least from there, shall we take our first break? Yes, I'm gonna take a break with you, obviously, and uh recollect my thoughts on why Real Madrid are the worst team in La Liga right now. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Let's talk a little Real Madrid. Rian, I'm not going to talk about why Real Madrid are currently the worst informed team in the Liga. I think that's a little little unfair, just to say the least, because I think Huesca or Osasuna could probably make that justification or argument. But let's start off where Real Madrid left off. Over the weekend, dropping fully, losing 2-1 to Levante over the weekend. Where do you think... This is kind of my question to you, and I'll, I'll take it afterwards, but where do you think this leaves Levante now? Or <laughs> where does this leave Real Madrid now in their, <laughs> in their race for the league, right? They're they're in third, and although they're tied on points um, and they play the same number of matches as Barcelona, they are in third. So, yeah, where does this leave Real Madrid? I think we have to still be sympathetic to the fact that that was their first loss in nine games, a, a nine game unbeaten run by Madrid. And so their first loss the since league. November in the league. In the league. Yeah. Sorry. I, yes. In, in the league. Um, it's their first loss since November 29th in La Liga. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if it changes where I thought or where probably either of us thought they're, trajectory was in terms of um the league title right i i i think we're we can not fully safely rule everyone else out yet but 
this is kind of a slow procession to the title for Atleti at the moment, who are 10 points up on Barcelona and Real Madrid with a game in hand still. Um, so I, I think overall, it's it's not a hugely damaging blow to their title chances. What it might be kind of tricky now is that second is really up for grabs between not just Barcelona and Real Madrid, but Sevilla as well, um, who are just in good form at the moment too. So I, I think there are greater issues for Real Madrid that we've talked about before in terms of just the general core needing to be refreshed um, over these next over this next couple windows, couple transfer windows, we should say. But um, they're still so easy to play through. I, I I still find myself saying that in a lot of their games, really easy to break the lines of their of their um, defense, really easy to get past the forward line, and to get from the forward line to in between their midfield line and, and the back line too. So it's, that's where their issues are still lying for me. The middle of their field is really the middle of their spine. I should say the spine of their team is very soft. And we've talked about the middle of the park for them. How many, like time and time again, they are, how many times have we said, like we're being a dead horse that, they're one Luka Modric injury away from becoming a bang average mid-table side, just overall and also in the midfield. It's shocking to me that they did not have a plan for Odegaard when he came back. I understand bringing Odegaard back. I, I genuinely understand it from Real Madrid's perspective, but at least have a plan to incorporate him because you're talking about a potential world-class talent, but... If you want to treat him like he's not, then this is the this is the end product. You're actually seeing right now what the end product of that transition looks like. And that's dropping needless points against either mid-table sides or dropping points against lower league sides or, or lower in the table sides. Um, now, granted, they have Wesca coming up this uh, this weekend who are in last place. Now, am I putting my money on Wesca? No. But am I putting my money on Real Madrid scraping by? Yeah, probably. They're not playing in form right now. And maybe this is one of those games that, I guess, their back is up against the wall and they pull out Zidane magic, right? This this idea that they have in their head that they have to do it for him almost, but he's also still not back on the sidelines. So I guess yeah, that's a little funny scene The him like having to call in to the yeah. side to one of the assistant coaches and then a guy sitting on the bench has to get the call and walk up and talk to I don't know the name of their assist, of their uh, assistant manager right now but that's just a really funny scene still yeah no it's actually hysterical and there were a lot of jokes people were being like maybe he's just on the phone with his mom like it doesn't have to be Zidane like it could really be anyone we would have no idea but yeah it, it's super fair point um Zidane will not be back for a couple more games, probably with COVID. So I guess back to your original point, Rihanna, about where does this team in the midfield go? Well, you saw in this game exactly what happens with the, the squad that they have. You, you have Vinicius, you have Mariano, you have Militao, you have kind of this young 
I don't even want to say diaspora, but this young group of players <laughs> that are somehow all Brazilian and you've made the, this investment and they are not growing or developing, right? I think people were maybe really excited, especially Real Madrid fans, when Vinicius scored against Barcelona in the Clasico, right, a year ago or so, and everyone was, you know, all hoopla and whatnot. What what have those players done since then, right? Uh, it's and they've played. And have... Vinicius has played a lot of yes. minutes too, yes. and, and that's what's most concerning that he's played a lot of minutes. It's not like he's being treated like Odegaard, right? Or not being allowed to develop within the, the squad, right? And here's here's the one thing that I think scares me the most. And, and I'm not saying the scare is the scare in the sense that I think Real Madrid are about to get so much more better. What scares me the most in terms of fear for Real Madrid is their plan this upcoming summer to splash potentially on Mbappe, right? Mbappe is likely going to say that PSG has things stand now, but potentially splash on Mbappe or actually end splash on Holland. So that completely takes away the time for the players that you've already spent two years basically investing development and, and money and resources into. This isn't, this is not a good project. I am one to talk, right? Coming from a Barcelona point of view, but it is not a strong project. And I think Real Madrid need to wake up and realize that um, there are some moments, but in, in about, it, two it wouldn't years, be the first time this. that Florentino <laughs> is pretty wayward with his project. I, I, I can't remember the last time I said, wow, they've got a great project going there at, at, uh, at Real Madrid, right? Yeah. Uh, this this feels like, I mean, it feels like, not to, not to um, bring things back to Chelsea, but in the same sense where the board is, are the, are the ones that make all the decisions and because they don't seem quite that uh, savvy in the market, this, they're pretty cyclical in how well the transfers are going to work out. Kind of so, a few years it'll work really well, maybe one or two years, and then maybe right after winning the league a couple times, it's the, the transfers make no sense again. So it's yeah. um, this. This feels very much par for the course for Real Madrid in terms of <laughs> in terms of transfer um, policy. But the the thing that's really killing them is. They lead the league. They lead La Liga in mistakes leading to goals. That wait, are you wait, serious? This is I, according, I'm, according I'm to football. Yeah, according that. to Football Reference, Real Madrid lead the league in in mistakes leading to goals. That is where you can't give them any slack. That is that is where a team of not just their caliber but the experience of of many of these players. Um, that's that's where they're really falling off this year and and that's that's not something that we'd expect and of course this has something to do with Sergio Ramos not playing as much um same with Varan and having to play Militao who yeah we he he may feel slightly hard done for on by by the red card from this past weekend but i think maybe by letter of the law it, it's it was the correct decision um yeah that they like you said that they're, they're not developing these players that they brought in and have really staked the future on um, and and this summer is probably when they have to 
cut their losses, not in the sense of selling them, but in the sense of, okay, yeah. there needs to be a plan B. And, yeah. and the plan B for Real Madrid is usually spend all the Galacticos, money. Galacticos, Galacticos, <laughs> baby. Yeah, that is that is always plan B. But no, I think I think you're entirely right. And for context too, it's not I, I don't think we're overreacting, right, and saying that they are making poor sporting decisions because th- this Levante game also could have been a lot worse. Like Levante could have easily put more goals past Real Madrid. Um I, I just think that well the last point I'll make on the game is Mariano arguably could have maybe had a yellow card because I don't know if he was really the last man back on the, on that penalty call, but um, or on the on the red card call. But uh, it, I think it's just a, very much a microcosm of what is going on in Real Madrid. So we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. And, and, that, and that isn't even to <laughs> we didn't even mention the fact that the news that came out about En Hazard again. Oh my God! Yes, again, yes. Um, out for a month month and a half we don't have to touch too much on it but that's now 20 games started in the last two seasons for fred and hazard three goals and three assists for his um real madrid career so far yeah um i i don't know what chelsea sold to real madrid Uh, (laughs) 11 11 (laughs) they did not they did not madrid did not get to see the carfax on that one chelsea (laughs) burned it and buried the ashes at <laughs> the bottom of the channel. So, <laughs> yeah, that wow, the lack of value just in terms of production that has to be one of the worst signings in the last five years, up there with probably like Coutinho uh, for Barcelona. Like, it wow, it, I almost feel bad. I really feel bad for Hazard. Too many tapas and too much wine or something <laughs> has really screwed with his, his habits. But there is inter- something interesting from Samuel Eto'o I saw today. I don't know if it was actually an interview from today or, or, or a couple days ago or a while ago. He just made an interesting point. He said, you know, when Messi was coming onto the scene, Ronaldinho was the best player in the world. And what happened was Ronaldinho really fell off in terms of his training, in terms of his focus in the game, right? You saw him a lot of out-of-game distractions and a large part of why he left Barcelona is because Pep didn't want him there because of that. And after that happened his game almost entirely fell off. So is there something to be said about a similar training regimen at Real Madrid with Eden Hazard, right? He, clearly he put in 110% at Chelsea because he was the main man and he had to, and the pressure was there, but at Real Madrid, I mean, it's there and don't get me wrong. The pressure for him to be a success given is the money that he was signed for is absolutely probably wearing down on him, but it's not like he's all of a sudden still the focal point or anything like that. And maybe there's been a massive change in the way that he trains or his focus. And there's, there's something we're missing, but this is, this is a beyond abnormal. It's, it's sad. It's sad to see, especially as, as someone who, who loved the man. So, um, enough feeling sad for now. Let's ask, shall we, <laughs> shall we go on to a couple teams who might feel slightly sad, a, a little disappointed with the draw this past weekend? Yeah. Villarreal and Sociedad drew 1-1 and are going to, are just falling behind Sevilla at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. They, so both Villarreal and Real Sociedad have played 21 games. Meanwhile, Sevilla have played 20 Sevilla on 39 points and Real Sociedad on 32, Villarreal on 35. So this past weekend, from an objective standpoint, just from a neutral perspective, this is a great game. I mean, 
go back if you if you are listening to this and you haven't watched the buildup to Danny Parejo's first goal, or actually Villarreal's only first goal in the third minute, it's wonderful. It is so nice to watch, and he tops it off with arguably the goal of the season. And I, I just. Just go watch it. I can't do it justice talking about how sweetly he struck that ball from 25 yards out. It is immaculate. So this game started off banging, and I was like, oh, you know what? We're in for another Sociedad Sevilla game like we were a couple weeks back when they just went (laughs) off in the first 15 minutes. Um, But it actually turned out to be the complete opposite because what happened was Real Sociedad really left it late. Alexander Isak, again, one of my favorite players in the league, left it for the 93rd minute to equalize um, and and salvage a point for Real Sociedad. But I I think for obvious reasons, Villarreal will definitely feel more hard-pressed because they lost the game in the 93rd minute. I think both teams should feel bad about getting a draw because when you are a game behind the, the team that's in front of you, you have an opportunity to make that up with a win against the team, the other team that's around you, right? In either Villarreal or Sociedad, depending on your point of view. So if Sociedad had won this game, they would have been up to 34 points, five points between them and Sevilla. If Villarreal had won, they would have been up to 37 points, which would have been just two points between them and Sevilla, but four points and now seven points for Sociedad to make up on a team that still has a game in hand is really, really difficult. So I think that a draw was probably the definition of a lose-lose situation for both of these teams. And again, while it was an amazing game to watch, and I think Sociedad probably were the better side overall. They had 12 shots, you know, three on target. Villarreal largely had all their opportunities uh, in the first half, and they only had a total of four shots. But this this was, quite frankly, a loss for both teams, in my opinion. And if they expect to finish top four, both teams, of course, in fifth and sixth, in Villarreal and Sociedad respectively, they're going to need to win these type of games. And this just proved that maybe, right, like we talked about a few weeks ago, over the long term, it's harder for those kind of Europe, Europe uh, excuse me, Europa League teams to fit into the top four because of that long- longevity. And in a season with COVID where everyone's playing every couple of days, it's, it's even harder. Yeah, that draw leaves... Sociedad with one win in the league in their last 11 games. It's 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 a hard fall off right now. And it sucks too because they are sitting second in the expected points table. So it's of course some of these games they've been unlucky in, but um but it's it's a real harsh reality that they've hit um over the last couple of months where you know all that matters is points. Really um they they play Beautiful football, obviously, and they put themselves in positions to win games, but ultimately it's a results business, especially if you're trying to make the top four. And they're just not they're not scoring the important goals enough, right? Um over that entire eleven game span, they've only scored two goals twice. And then one of them in a draw to Betis and the other in a, in that 3-2 loss to Sevilla. They're, they're just not converting enough chances there. Which makes it funny that they sold one of their strikers, William uh, Jose, to Wolves over during the January uh, window. But 
yeah, it's, it's not good enough right now for uh, Sociedad, especially after their start. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point about William Jose. I hadn't even thought about how, honestly, his goal production had factored into this. Um, but again, another, yeah, another part of the reasons. I think it's a small part of the reason why this team has not lived up to their expectations in the last two months, probably. But I think ultimately, if I had to choose a team to be more likely to get into the top four, it's probably going to be Villarreal for two reasons. One, the obvious reason is that they're closer to points with Sevilla. So jot that down. Um, but the second more important reason I say is I think that Unai Emery has gotten these players, especially their wingers and especially Danny Parejo, to be the focal point of this team. And they've bought into the idea that this team can play both counterattacking football like they do with Chukweze on the wing, and they can play beautiful passing football and progressive football like they did in the build-up to their first goal against Sociedad. So it's kind of this double-pronged attack that we haven't really seen Villarreal um, in maybe, I'd say, three years. Um, so it, it's a stronger side, absolutely. It's a, it's a you know, a side that is starting to really live up to someone of their, their name. So I'll leave it at that, Rian. <laughs> and with that, Elias, ready to get out of here for the night? Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to go make some dinner and uh, probably watch some TV. This might, this might be my first night not fully working until like the late evening. So I'll, uh, I'll take what I can Beautiful. Get. Love it. <laughs> I'm gonna go, go also eat dinner and continue to watch the best team in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers kick ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually that's a good point. I need to watch the play tonight. Who they play the Pistons? The uh they're playing the Charlotte Hornets tonight and they are oh, already up better. twenty twenty five to nine. <laughs> so Well, maybe it's not even worth watching. Now I'm gonna watch. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We will be back next week, definitely talking about the Manchester City Liverpool game and more than likely the Spurs Chelsea game. So with that, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. 